welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We've been talking about living as it is in heaven, experiencing heaven on earth, contending for that in northeast Colorado, right in Nico, as it is in heaven. And we've been talking about uh, how to walk that out and to live out heaven on earth. And as we've been going through that, we've been looking at that being the central message uh, of Jesus, uh, that God's love is the catalyst for the demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. Last week, we talked about walking in the power of the kingdom of God and the way that the Spirit moves in our lives towards that effect. And we landed on a verse last week that I think is really important for us to be reminded of on occasion. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20, where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of God is not, is not a matter of talk, but of power. That the kingdom of God is to be something that is going and moving and shaking and changing the world that we're a part of, beginning in us and moving out of us towards that effect. And I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I want you to, if you have a set of keys, I'd like you to get those out, right, during worship. You guys were pretty clappy. I heard some woo-woos and some hallelujahs, right? It seems like there's some wiggles that need to get out this morning. So I want you to get out your keys and just jingle them up here. Some of you are cat people. You do this at home, so it's like second nature to you. All right, you can go ahead and put those away, but I draw your attention to the keys that you're just kind of jingling there because I think that they are one of the uh, most underappreciated symbols of power that are out there. Uh, If I said, what is a symbol of power in your life, you probably wouldn't go to your keys, but if you've ever needed to get into something that you didn't have the key to, then you know that whoever had that key had the ultimate power in the universe at that point as far as you were concerned. And when I was in high school, my dad uh, was a pastor for most of my life and still is, but when I was in high school, my dad gave me a key to the church. He gave me a key to the church. Our church had a, a school that was a part of it. We had a gymnasium, and we were constantly, hey, Pop, can you open up the gym? Hey, Pop, can you open up the gym? Hey, we want to go shoot. The... Just like, dude, here's your own key. And he handed us that key, and with that came two things. We were given access to the whole of the building and all of its resources as available, and we were given permission to use that and to walk into it. And you and I have been given those things when it comes to the kingdom of God. You and I in Christ have been given access to the full resource and the full participation in the kingdom of God, and you and I have been given permission to function in those ways. And we oftentimes, though, long for heaven on earth in our experience. We want to see that in our day-to-day but oftentimes we don't, we don't see it living out. And so what I want to talk to you about is really the access that you have, the permission that you have, and the encouragement to take steps of faith into expressing the full of that this morning. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts in this moment. Lord, that you would open our eyes and give us ears to hear that we would be challenged by your word, that we would be encouraged by it, that we would receive it, that it would take root 
and that it would produce the fruit of righteousness in our lives, that there would be a harvest of righteousness because of our boldness and steps of faith to apply it in our daily living. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be talking about living as it is in heaven through this lens that you and I have both access and permission to the things of the kingdom of God. But one of the things that we've got to settle at the outset with this is really this question, who has the authority? Uh, Who has the authority? As we begin to look at this access and this permission, like who actually has the authority to give that to us and how does that, uh, how does that end up being determined in our lives. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. If you're like, hey, that sounds familiar, it's because we've touched on this verse a couple times through the series because Jesus um, says some important things in it. But at the front side of the verse, this is where we're going to land today, and we're just going to sit here and let this simmer in our hearts for a moment. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, first part of the verse, Jesus comes to his disciples, and then he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, and I've got a dot, dot, dot there, you can read the rest of your verse on your own, but he gives them their marching orders to go and to be about all the things that he was about prior to his death and resurrection. This has been called the Great Commission. It's the commissioning service in some regards for the disciples to be empowered and instructed to go and actually go out and do the things of the kingdom of God in the world. But he begins with this very succinct statement, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I want you to say all authority. Oh, say it so like the people online have to hear you at home. All authority. All right, now let's just say all, all. Okay, that means all of it. Can we agree on that? All authority. All authority in heaven and earth is his. And I know that we would think that as kind of an elemental statement of faith. And any, anybody who's been to church at any point in time, if you said, hey, is Jesus in charge? The answer, right, the Sunday school answer, yes, of course he is. But to live our life out as if that is true would require most of us to drastically change some of the ways that we go about living our life. Even as Pastor Cameron was saying, his tendency to kind of take on the burdens of life and to try to fight his own battles. So even in worship, we were kind of unpacking this type of an idea. But Jesus very succinctly says, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. It's his. He has possession of it. And that means that he gets to determine its use. And this is an uncontested statement. This is a settled account. Like Jesus isn't sharing authority with others. He hasn't divested it out in a sense. Now there's stewardship and things that we get to walk in. We're gonna talk a little bit about that in just a moment, but just you, you have to settle this in your heart and in your mind. Jesus is the one and only true power and authority in all of creation. It's undisputed and it is a settled understanding. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, and if you were to read the whole book of Colossians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Coloss or Colossae, one of the main themes of that whole letter was the preeminence of Christ. Because what was happening in the church in that time and in that region is they were starting to kind of waffle on whether or not Jesus was enough. 
or if he needed a little extra help, or if there needed to be some added accoutrements to it, or if we needed to get a little bit more religious, if, if there were some additions, right? Jesus is kind of the main course, but we need some sprinkles. And so they were starting to add things to this idea, and the letter to Colossians begins to settle that account. Like, no, 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 there is only one Lord, there is only one head, there is only one. And it's in the backdrop of that, you get to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, As Paul is writing about Jesus, he says this, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Anything and everything that is and will be finds its source in him. That Jesus is basically the author of that or the creator of all those things. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities... All things have been created through him and for him. There is one Lord. There is one who has all authority. And everything else is secondary. Everything else is subjected to his authority. Now, we don't have time this week to unpack this idea of thrones or powers and rulers and authorities. And certainly, if you've grown up in kind of a a church context, you would know that there are things in the very real and natural that we uh, have to deal with, and there are things in the supernatural as well. But without having to go into all of those, what Paul is saying is there is nothing in all of creation that is not subject to the authority of Jesus. He is the one and only Lord of all. And one of the things that you have that comes out of this is this underscore that that means that he is in charge, that he has all authority. And because of that, he gets to determine how it's used and where it's expressed. So when I was in high school and my dad handed me the key to the church, he had the authority to do that. He didn't sneak that key out of the office. He didn't make kind of a secret copy of it. It wasn't something underhanded or or done behind the scenes. He had the authority to hand me a key that gave me a carte blanche access to the whole of the building and permission to use and go and do in any of those areas because he had the authority to do that. It was his to give. And when it comes to authority for you and I to contend for heaven on earth, to say, no, as it is in heaven is going to be as it is in my home. As it is in heaven, is going to be as it is in the workplace, that it's going to be a part of the way that I live, that I'm going to live out heaven on earth now as practice for heaven in heaven forever, that Jesus gives us his authority to do that. He gives us his authority to do that, and that authority to do that is primarily expressed through his spirit at work in our lives. And you can go back to last week's message to unpack some of the nuance of that, and that's just a backcast to that premise. But because he has given us his spirit, we have authority to function in the things of the kingdom of God. You've got a key that gives you access and permission. And one of the interesting things in Matthew chapter 28, when he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, now therefore you, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. It's that great commission verse. He says, I have the authority. I'm giving it to you. Now you go and do. The language that he uses there, the language that he uses there is something that is reminiscent of what he did in Matthew chapter 10. 
In Matthew chapter 10, he calls his disciples to him. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says that in calling his disciples, he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. And then he sent them out to proclaim the message, the kingdom of heaven is now. And so he's drawing this language in Matthew 28. It's, it's drawing this language. It's reflective language of an experience they already had, an experience of them walking in his authority and going and doing the very things that he was doing, the very things that people were gathering to witness and to be a part of. They got to go and do. And when they came back to him, and again, this is in Matthew chapter 10, you can read the narrative on your own, but they came back much like you and I, they were freaking out because they were actually doing the things that Jesus was doing. They were praying for the sick and they were being healed and they were praying for, the de- uh, for people to be delivered and they were being delivered from the oppression of the demonic. There was absolute transformation taking place and Jesus wasn't even with them. They had gone out in his name and in his authority. And so in Matthew 28, as he's beginning to say this before he ascends to heaven, he's reminding them of what they had already practiced and all authority is mine. And now you get to go and do because I'm sending you. And that for, for us, that, that's a hurdle. Okay, that's a hurdle. For, for many of us, as you're growing in your faith and as you are, are getting to know the heart of God and as you are following close to Jesus, you're, you're getting to that place where it's like there's this confidence and there's this faith in you that, that he is who he said he is and he'll do what he said he's going to do. We can get to that place where we can confidently say he's in charge, even though it doesn't look like it in this area of my life or in this part of my community. Like I know that he's sovereign, he's in control, he's moving. I can declare that in faith. But then that hurdle to say, but then I can go in that authority, that is a hard sell for us often. But it's his to give. And if he has made his spirit available to you and has invited you to participate, then that authority is something that is yours as well. And one of the best ways that you can be reminded that that is true is to spend time in the presence of God. To spend time in the presence of God and That brings us to kind of this next idea that you have access to God the Father. You you have access to God. In Hebrews chapter 4, we'll look at a couple verses there in just a moment. It's going to talk about the, the way that we can approach the Lord and how we can do that with confidence. But in the book of Hebrews, if you were to read through the whole book, one of the things that you would find is there's this language and this imagery that's used over and over and over again. And it's always talking about like priests and high priests and sacrificial system. And it can be a little bit kind of out of context for us, like what is happening or going on here. It's a lot of language that harkens back to the Old Testament and the way that the people of God were instructed to to approach God through this system because there was an atonement for their sin. Jesus hadn't died uh, and, and raised from the dead. He hadn't conquered sin and death. And so they were having to go through these different approaches to the Lord. And the old school approach was this, is that you would go to the priest and the priest would go to the high priest and the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And if he didn't jack it up, then he could come out alive. 
Did you know that that was part of the process? When the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, they tied a rope around him just in case they had to drag him out dead. Okay, that, that was an old school approach to trying to get into the presence of God. And as the writer of Hebrews is unpacking this idea, he's drawing on this imagery and he says, everything has changed because Jesus is now your high priest. That Jesus himself, by the throne of God, intercedes for his people. In fact, there's, a, there's kind of a, a nuance to this in Scripture where there's a place in Scripture that says that, uh, that Satan stands before God and day and night brings accusations against you and I. And it's, it's, it's a, a language of imagery that basically just says there, there's a continual case against you being brought before God as judge. And unfortunately for you and I, all of that stuff is true, right? All of those things are true of us. We said that, we did that, we thought that, we still continue to struggle with that. All of those things are constantly being brought before the Lord. We are indicted over and over and over again. But Scripture says that Jesus stands by the throne of God and makes intercession for you and I. That every time it's like, oh, look at this, he's like, yeah, I paid for that. Nope, covered that. Cross, cross, cross. And so you get this picture of Jesus as your high priest. That's the language that the writer of Hebrews uses. And the consideration in the book, one of the main themes is this question, how do I get close to God? And he dismantles this old religious approach to somehow have to earn your way in and come in and maybe beckon some favor to going in this way. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace, look at this, with confidence. Some of your uh, translations will say, go boldly before the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In Christ, you have access, not just to the things of the kingdom of God, you have access to God the Father himself. And when you're struggling with the hurdle of whether or not you can walk in the authority of the kingdom of God, when you can walk in the power of the Spirit of God, a great place to go and resettle that thought is to go back to the presence of God and let, let Dad speak over it. You have access to the Lord. How do you connect with God? How do you get to God? You no longer have to go through a surrogate person. You can just go into the presence of God. And you can go boldly and unashamed. And that doesn't mean that you're not jacked up anymore. And that doesn't mean that you're not dirty or you're not beat up from the week that you had. But it means that you can come in and say, Dad, I messed up. And he said, good, I've been waiting for you and let's deal with that. See, the old, the old way that we would approach is we would try to, got to get, this doesn't work anymore, by the way, for me. But at one time... Right? We feel like we've got to clean ourselves up and get into the present. Like, just show up. You already have access to dad. You can come boldly and confidently, even in your brokenness. And he's going to receive you just the way that you are. 
You know, when I was in high school, my dad gave me a key, gave me access to the whole of the church and all of the resources there. But there was another thing that I experienced growing up in the church with my dad as a pastor, and that was this. I never had to knock to come into his office. And it didn't matter whether he was counseling somebody or if he was in study or if he was in a time of prayer. It didn't matter what the activity was. I could just throw the door open, and me and my three little brothers, we could just come in in a wind of chaos, and we were never reprimanded. We were never barked at. We were never belittled. We were never cast out because he was our dad. And we had full access to dad. Now, I recognize that that in many ways is a a privileged upbringing, but he worked hard at that so that we would have an understanding of the access that we had not to him, but to our heavenly father. It was purposed. It was intentional, not to just kind of take care of us or to nurture us. It was to form in us a perspective of God the father that says that you can always come in Now, when I was little, I was more disruptive, and as I grew, I developed a little bit of emotional intelligence where I would look in the window and see that he was counseling somebody and think, this isn't the right time. So there was growth in me, but there was also great grace for that growth to take place. You are welcome in the presence of God. And if you can get back to that place, if you will come home in a sense you will be reminded of that, that he has um, gifted you with that privilege. And something happens when we spend time in the presence of God. There's a confidence that arises us to actually go and to live out our identity. Because he reminds us of who we are. In Romans chapter 8, and this is another really great chapter of Scripture. If you've got time this week, I would encourage you to read the whole of it. Um, it's got one of those verses in there that says that you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, one of those kind of foundation verses for resiliency in your spirituality. But in Romans chapter 8, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he reminds us of our place in the family. And the way that the Spirit of God brings us to that place. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll focus on the last one. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, it says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or are daughters of God. you're, You're a part. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship that has to do with uh, um, inheritance and privilege. And by him, okay, by that spirit, it says that we cry, Abba, Father. And that word Abba, that's dada. That's little kid, just like stumbling, bumbling speech, very intimate and very simple. Abba, Abba. It's by the Holy Spirit that we get to cry that out. And the Spirit himself testifies that with our spirit, that we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit affirms that, and this is the truth that comes from it. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. See, Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, and he gets to distribute that in any way he would. 
And in Christ, we have access to the things of the kingdom of God and beyond that to the very presence of God. And here's what will happen when you spend time, especially in the presence of God. Not even the activity of the kingdom of God is great. Get to the presence of God. It's better. But if you'll spend time in the presence of God, you will be reminded that you have permission to participate in the things of the family. See, in Romans chapter 8, the language moves from you're a child, right? Nice, you know, pat you on the head. Oh, you're so cute. It moves away from like this little thing that needs to be nurtured and kind of maybe dismissed to shifting the language to you are an heir. You, you are an heir. That means you get to speak for the kingdom. You get to act on behalf. You get to declare. Somebody who is in a place of heirship and inheritance had full access, full right to all of what was at the disposal. And the language moves towards that. Not that just you are children and you have access to dad's office, but you get to go and actually speak on behalf of dad because you are an heir to the kingdom. And in that, you are being given permission you are being given permission to go and to do the things that Jesus did, to go and, and, and do the things of the kingdom of God. You don't have to defer to somebody else, and you don't have to ask a pastor to step in and do those things. Now, there's places for leaders and for community to be a part of our growth. It's very, very important, so don't hear me speak so individualistically that you would dismiss that. But most of us don't struggle in that area. We struggle in the, it's, it can't be me, why me, I don't. We disqualify ourselves. And all I'm trying to let you know this morning is that you have authority in Jesus' name to spend time in the presence of God and be reminded of who you are and to walk out and do something as a result of that. You are being given permission. See, we often feel undeserving and disqualified, especially if we get to this hurdle here. If we settle the idea that, you know what, I do have authority in Christ, and if I do get this pl- to this place where I get over the hurdle that says I've been denied access and I, I really embrace that wholeheartedly, oftentimes when we get to kind of the permission to actually act and do and go, we come, we come up short here because we feel undeserving, we feel unqualified, we feel disqualified, and all of the things that we would say are reasons for that are probably true about us but they put too much weight on what we bring to the relationship with Jesus and not enough weight on what he has done for us. Now, when my dad gave me a key that gave me permission and gave me access, okay, there were times where I showed myself maybe not as trustworthy with that as he thought I was, right? I could have said, hey, dad, I don't know if I'm mature enough to make wise decisions with this. Okay, there were several times where we ate all the snacks in the kitchen that were meant for a ministry event later on. Got to reconcile those problems, right? And so if I would have been introspective and really honest, like I probably wasn't mature enough for that, but it would have been somehow saying that what I was bringing was kind of over and above what my dad was able to give. And the same thing is true for you and I. We feel undeserving, we feel disqualified, and some of those things are really true of us. But I want to remind you of how the Lord responds to you and I when we come back to His presence. 
In Luke chapter 15, you get a story that if your Bible has like little headings, it's going to be called either the, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Most of you would be familiar with the story, but to give you a short flyover, if you're not, a man has two sons, an older and a younger, because they weren't twins. There you go, math whizzes, I helped you out there. He's got two sons, and the youngest comes to him, and this is the paraphrase, hey, pops, I can't wait for you to die, so I'd like my inheritance now. And dad says yes. Gives the younger brother his inheritance, and he leaves, squanders it in wild living, and comes to a place of poverty and destitution. And in that place, at rock bottom, he says, you know what, I'm just going to go home, because it's better to be a servant in my dad's house than to live with the consequences of the life that I just created for myself. And so he starts to make his way home, and the whole way home he's rehearsing in his head the speech that he's gonna give his dad to grovel for just a place in the servant's quarters. So he's going through the whole thing. And scripture says that the father is looking down the road and sees his son a long way off, and, and the whole parable turns because it's, it's the opposite of what most of our experience would ever be. But it says that the father runs down the road. And as he gets to his son, his son starts his little pre-rehearsed speech. And he doesn't even get to finish it. Dad just cuts him off and is so stoked to have him home that he's going to throw a party. And so he brings him home and he begins to throw this party and he makes an exclamation of, of what's going on and he draws everybody's attention to it. Everybody in the household, everybody in, in, uh, in, in the family and on property and premises. And in verse 22, it says this, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And one of the things that you see illustrated, not just in this parable, but you'll see this in other places in Scripture when it comes to getting into the presence of God, is that when you come home, you will be reminded of your place in the family. When you come home, you'll be reminded of your place in the family. It's such an interesting thing in this parable because there's three things that the father gives the son who's coming home with his broken life and his tail between his legs, who's coming into dad's office covered in mud again and said, look, I made a mess of myself. He's not turned away and he's not pushed out. And even though he's not coming home bold or full of confidence, he's got his tail between his legs and he's sheepish and embarrassed, the father gives him three significant things. And the first is the word says that he asks for the best robe, which would have been something that you would have cloaked a guest of honor who was coming to your home. It would have been a symbol of the reception of hospitality. At the end of the line, you have him put sandals on his feet. Very significant and very important because the footwear that was being placed on him would have identified him as a free man, a person in the, in the socioeconomic 
status and structure of the day. It would have, he wouldn't have been a bond servant. He wouldn't have been a secondary or a lesser than. It would have been restoring him to full freedom and autonomy of person. And in between those things, it says that he placed a ring on his finger. And the ring was the symbol of authority. The ring was full permission to engage in the activity of the family. And when you and I can boldly go into the presence of God, He will remind you not of all the things that are actually true of you in your brokenness. He'll remind you that those things have been covered by His grace because Jesus has already done what is necessary to deal with those things. And He will remind you of your place in the family. That you, young man, that you, young lady, are an heir to the kingdom of God. That you get to go in the authority of the one and only Lord. That you have access to all of me and you have permission to go and be all of who I have created you to be. And the way that we do things up here is the way I want you to do things down there. Now, in your life, it would be as it is in heaven. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for just a moment, and I want you to think about these three hurdles. We'll stand as a church family in a minute, and we'll invite the worship team back forward, but I want you to think about these three things because they really are mental hurdles oftentimes for us. Jesus has all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and do. Lord, for any heart here that would feel as if this doesn't apply to them, that somehow you have withheld this from them, Lord, would you soften their heart to knowing that in you they have received your spirit and they have permission, they have access to begin to exercise your authority. Lord, that they no longer have to find a secondary or surrogate individual to somehow uh, tend to their relationship with you, but they can walk in confidence in your spirit. Lord, for anybody who would be wrestling with the hurdle of access, feeling like they don't have full access to you or to your presence, that coming into your office is somehow uh, an affront. Lord, Lord, would you remind them of the work that you've already done and the way that you have repaired that relationship, that in Christ they can come boldly before the throne of grace. They have access to your presence, Lord. Give us a bold courage to utilize that this week. And in that place, Lord, where my friends and family here today would feel disqualified and undeserving, Lord, where they would feel as if they're coming with their tail between their legs and they're dragging their feet and they're just trying to make their way home. Lord, as they spend time in your presence this week, would they be convinced of their place in the family, reminded that they are heirs to the King of kings and Lord of lords and that they have been given access and permission to live out heaven on earth. In Jesus' name. Church family, if you would stand, worship team, if you would come forward. There's a few other ways we're gonna allow the Lord to search our hearts this morning. All right, I want you to think for a moment. I want you to imagine you can do this with your eyes open or you can do it closed. Either way, 
But what would your life look like this week? Maybe not even this week. How about this Monday, right? We can narrow it down even a little bit more. But what would your life look like if you reminded yourself that Jesus has all authority? What would your life look like if you reminded yourself that He has given you access? What would your life look like if you reminded yourself that you've been granted to enjoy heaven on earth, that you have permission to walk into those things? I think that if we take time this week to come home, we take time this week to access the presence of God, we'll be reminded of who we are and we'll be confident of his authority for us to walk into. Lord, for each heart here, would you give us that courage and that confidence to walk in your permission. Lord, to use the access that we have to your presence and to invite your authority to be demonstrated in our lives. I think this week it would look a lot like John 14, 12. We talked about it last week. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Lord, let that be said of us this week in Jesus' name that we would live out in Northeast Colorado as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, action steps. If you've got a smartphone or tablet, I want to encourage you to snap a picture. Otherwise, you can catch these online, Facebook, um, and some of those other things. But here's your three action steps. Number one, remind yourself of Jesus's authority. It would be a good idea to do that each day. Number two, accept his invitation to visit the throne of grace. Press into the presence of God who will remind you of who you are. And then number three, from that place, go with his permission to participate in the things of the kingdom of God. Let's make a difference in our community this week.